Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. I'm sure you watched, uh, as I did, the devastating results of the hurricane in Florida, Hurricane Ian. A lot of our uh, Christian Christian Alliance family was uh, hurt, devastated by that storm. We have a district in Florida, the district superintendent and his staff are doing relief work, and they're making sure that the funds that are given specifically for hurricane relief are going to the churches and people that have been devastated. We, I don't know if you saw the the causeway, the bridge to Sanibel, but right where that bridge is, is the Alliance uh, Tirement Village, which has a lot of the pastors and missionaries who have served us. Um, No one was, no one was hurt that I know of, but the buildings were pretty heavily damaged. And so there's going to be a lot of, a lot of cleanup and a lot of, um, you know, renovation that has to take place in those places. So if you're interested in giving to this relief effort, this, uh, uh, you can scan this on our, our social media pages. You can scan it, I think, on our website soon. And you can give, and it'll go directly to the district, to the relief efforts that are taking place. Every penny of it will go to uh, the churches and the people in the churches that are needing help. Um, Many of you know that we have started our fall series. Our fall series is Renovate. It's the idea of renovation of the heart. Uh, There's a lot of content in this. There's a lot of stuff that I am sharing with you. Um, It's a lot to take in. But if you will track with us in this, I, can, I really can see an advancement in your spiritual growth and your emotional well-being. But I do find that when there's a lot of content, people need to ask questions. They need to be able to process out loud, especially when you're dealing with heart issues, is that it's really important to verbalize what you're thinking about. And so this is why the growth groups, the small group ministry is so important because in an environment where other people are processing the same things, you're going to find out that some of the things you thought were unique to your heart or things that you thought made you disqualified in some way, you realize other people are going through the exact same things. And that can be incredibly comforting and also can be a way to advance together. I find that what what the enemy of our souls likes to do is to isolate us out and think nobody understands us. And to isolate us out and think, you know, there's nobody going through what I'm going through. And yet, there's always always in the body of Christ people going through exactly what you're going through. None of the stuff that we're facing is really all that new. Nothing is new under the sun, in a sense. The, The issue of our heart is always sin, and the remedy is always Jesus. And so as we deal with this together, it's really good if you'll, if you'll join with us. We're also doing devotional. I do devotionals on Facebook Live at 9 o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We uh, release that as a podcast. You can listen along with us. It's just another way to take the information, the content a little bit deeper. And on our website, there's a free devotional, free workbook. The whole thing is there. Uh, we're gonna make. We are gonna make a few copies. If you ask Carol, if you're not a not a person who likes the computer digital 
type stuff. You could ask Carol about getting a copy. It is a PDF, so you could just print it if you wanted to. But all of that's free. And since I wrote that workbook, it's the best I've ever written. So uh, <laughs> usually Lisa writes most of it. This time, that was not possible. So I really think this, uh, this series has been, at least it's been really good for me, and that's all that matters. Um, just seeing if you're listening. I've been dealing with the issues of the heart like since 1993, the Lord said, this, the issue is your heart. And it's, it's important that you look at things from a different perspective. And though these are issues we've, we've traveled down before, there's a whole new way of looking at it coming at you by this renovation of heart. And what the Lord has been doing in my life has been really using the trials that we're going through to say, okay, I'm opening up your heart in a whole new way. And so as we start this second week, I want to start it this way. If you are in Christ, you are loved as Christ. If you are in Christ, you are as righteous as Christ and the Father treats you exactly as he does Jesus. All of this is by grace. Now, what the Bible says is that in Christ, God loves you all the way to the top, but he knows you all the way to the bottom. So if it is all of grace, then the pressure is off of you to perform in order to be accepted. You are accepted because of the performance of Jesus. Now, it's important that you get this concept because what I'm about to share with you, if you do not get that acceptance is already a settled, received truth in your life, then when you hear how bad you are, you're going to be really, really, really hurt and you'll resist. You see, what, what, in a way, what religion has done is said, you can make yourself acceptable. If you do this, this, and this, and stop doing this, this, and that, then you are a good person. The problem is that's not what the Bible says. So first and foremost, you have to take the pressure off for you to perform in order to be accepted by God. So I want you to turn to your neighbor. I'm going to make you do this numerous times today. Turn to your neighbor, point at him, okay, and say, the pressure, the pressure is, off. is off. All right, now remember that when we read this scripture. All right, will you read? I like it when you all read with me. So let's read God's word out loud together. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike perverse. There is no one who does good. No, not one. You see why I started the way I did. See, a lot of us want to say, I have a good heart. A lot of us want to say, I'm a good person. 
And a lot of people mistakenly believe Christianity is about making you a better person. Whereas really Christianity is about you dying to self and living in Christ. Because here is God's description of your heart. It's gone astray. It's not wise. It doesn't naturally seek after God. And I, I mean, I think the pressure's off when you realize you are all as perverse as I am. <laughs> and then it says, there is no one who does good. No, not one. So in some ways, what the Bible is saying is you can't start the journey upward if you're unwilling to face how downward you are. So let me, let me give you a thing from last week about how do we make a U-turn in our hearts. And the Bible says there are really only three things that you need in order to start making a U-turn. The first one is this. It's called confession. Now, confession is simply agreeing with what someone else has said. And when you confess your sins, you're not making up sins. You're just agreeing what, with what God has to say about you. So it is not a big emotional thing, but it is a tremendous alignment with the truth where you say, if God says this is who I am, then this is who I am. And you see, until you're willing to do that, without reservation, you'll always be protecting and justifying areas of darkness in your life. Amen. So it's easy in a way, if you let the pressure be off, to say, okay, it's all of grace. And since it's all of grace, I don't have to fake it till I make it. Amen. I can confess. But secondly, the Bible says that there has to be then godly sorrow. And it's so interesting that when it is truly godly, it's very different from worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is regret. It is when you get caught. Worldly sorrow is basically, I'm sorry, I'm suffering the consequences of the choices I've made. I'm sorry that there's punishment. I'm sorry that things didn't work out the way I wanted to do. You see, worldly sorrow is not about what you've done it's about how it's affected you. Godly sorrow, as scripture says, is when you realize that to live your life apart from God is to break the heart of God. It's not merely that you're disobedient to the rules. It's not merely that you've disobeyed the law. It's actually that you've hurt the one who loves you the most. So godly sorrow is not because I got caught. It's because I've hurt the one who loves my soul. And then the third thing is that there has to then be fruit consistent with repentance. So if there has been true confession, I agree with you, God, this is an issue. It's not just a dysfunction, but it's a sin. And then you say, I really realize that what I've done has broken the heart of the God who loves me. But then there has to be such reality of a change that then there's fruit coming out in your life that's consistent with the repentance that you've made. So in a way, it's very easy to make a rhyme here. No root, no fruit. If you got to the root, then you're going to see the fruit. 
And this is the issue with many of us, is that we do feel sorrow, but we haven't changed. We do worry we're going to be punished. We worry there will be consequences, but we don't change because we haven't yet gotten to the root of why do I do what I do? Why do I make the choices that I make? And so the the Holy Spirit is never just in the behavior modification program. He is in the, let me get at the root where your pain is, where your brokenness is, where the darkness is. And so Dallas Willard has been very helpful to me as I've thought through this. And he says it this way. We must see the soul and the person in its ruined condition with its malformed and dysfunctional mind, feelings, body, and social relations before we can understand that it must be delivered and reformed. And how can that be done? One of the greatest obstacles to effective spiritual formation in Christ today is simple failure to understand and acknowledge the reality of the human situation as it affects Christians and non-Christians alike. We must start from where we really are. And here we recall that all people undergo a process of spiritual formation. Their spirit is formed, and with it, their whole being. Spiritual formation is not something just for especially religious people. No one escapes. So here's what I'd like you to do. Turn to your neighbor again. Now, I would have you say to them how malformed they are, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Or some of you know how dysfunctional they are. I'm not going to let you say that to them. I just said it to them. (laughs) But I'm going to have you turn to them, point at them, and say... You are in the process of spiritual formation. No one escapes. This is, what's, this is so important to get. See, it's either you're in the process of being formed into something of light, or you're being formed into something evil but you're always being formed. Now, C.S. Lewis, I think, speaks to this better than anybody else. This, even as a teenager, this hit me like a ton of bricks. Here's what he said. The dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet if at all, only in a nightmare. This is, this is such an important reality right now. The person sitting next to you, if you were to see them in their future state, he is saying either they would be a being of such glory that you would fall down and worship them right now, or they would be a, a being of such horror that they'd be worse than any nightmare you ever saw. And some of you are thinking about your husbands right now. (laughs) This is so important that we get this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. 
but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. Every person you're sitting next to, even you, has an immortal soul. You will last forever. And because of that, you're either being formed as a nightmare or as a glorious being. Either you're a person that people would worship because of the glory and beauty that you will have, or you're a person that people would run away and hide their faces from. But either way, you've never, ever talked to a person who is ordinary. Would you look at your neighbor one more time for me? I know it's irritating, but I'm enjoying it. You are not an ordinary person. You are immortal. Can I, can I just give you a little bit of application of that? Because here, here's what's happening around you. You may not know this, or you might. Everything that's bombarding you from our culture says culture will last, you don't. Everything that's bombarding you sexually, everything that's bombarding your sense of what matters, of what gives you purpose, everything is coming from a society that says you're not immortal. This is all that there is. You are just going into the ground and there is nothing else. You see, if you believe that you're immortal, then your choices now affect your immortality. It affects whether you are going to be a creature of glory or a creature of horror. And either way, what you're doing now has more significance than just what and how it affects you right now. Everything that you're doing Everything is being stored up in a place for you. I, 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 one of the hardest things as a pastor is sometimes when people lose children. And a precious couple in this church lost a baby uh, just before it was time to deliver the child. And uh, they had prayed for and longed for this child. And... Uh, you know, it was one of the hardest things as they had to, as they had to say goodbye. They named their child and they, they buried their child. And I remember wanting and saying, Lord, you know, how, how do I comfort them at this loss? And I don't often hear from the Lord in dreams, but he says, even old men will dream dreams. So, <laughs> so I had a dream and the child that I saw was someone who looked 22 years old in heaven, perfect, living out life. And I was like, Lord, do I tell them this? Will it help them? And he said, yes, go tell them. So I went and I told him, I said, this child that you lost is waiting for you. You understand, if we are immortal. If our souls are immortal, they have a beginning, but they have no end. And that has consequences for every choice that you make. Are you tracking with me in that? So one of the issues of choice 
is a choice is usually based an awful lot on emotion. Now, your heart is not just your emotions. Your heart is the control center of your being. But we have these very emotional selves that tends to be what pushes us over the top about the choices that we make. So Tony Evans is a wonderful pastor who wrote a book called U-Turns, and he talks about emotion in a way I thought, I like to talk with you about emotion, but I also want to give you different perspectives on emotion. So this is kind of a lengthy quote, but I thought it was really helpful. It's amazing how quickly our emotions can change. This is because our emotions are, by and large, responders. Emotions react. They move from influence to influence, leaving us with little stability at all. Worry, fear, anxiety, dread, call it what you will, it plagues most people today because most people have not yet learned one very important truth, a truth that will set you free. Emotions have no intellect. So look at your, your neighbor, hopefully your friend, and say to them, your emotions have no intellect. See, that was fun to say to that friend, wasn't it? It was really fun. It's so important that we get this because the reason is you do not have to be controlled by your emotions. If, if you've hopped on the emotional roller coaster of life, you can choose today to get off. You do not need to worry. You do not need to be anxious. You can stop. I don't care what is provoking you, irritating you, or aggravating you. God's word gives you the power to walk away. You can disembark the wild worry ride, rife with fear, and simply go another direction. Your level of worry and anxiety is up to you. This is one of the major battles for your heart. It is, it is the issue that many of us feel like, I, I feel this way and I just can't help it. The truth is, if what you believe is false, then what you feel will not be real. So the battle is for your commitments. The battle is for what you trust. The battle is for your heart of hearts. And so I want to kind of, I want to process with you a few things about anxiety particularly. There's a big difference between concern and anxiety. Concern doesn't keep you up at night. Concern doesn't lead you down darker tunnels of what-if scenarios. Concern creates the opportunity to seek a solution, while anxiety seeks only to eat you alive. Anxiety, to me, is, is a satanic prophecy. Because it gives you a future that will not even happen, but allows you to feel the pain of that future no matter what. And many people pride themselves on being able to project worst-case scenarios. What that does is gives you the dread of a future, but no power for that future. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you, says the Lord. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your future. So this was really helpful to me, particularly thinking through all that Lisa's going through. That Tony Evans talked about his daughter, who is a tremendous, wonderful teacher, preacher, leader, Priscilla Shire. 
So she personally was facing a life-threatening disease in her lung. And she, as she has this, personally has this disease, she's been tending to her mother who had a battle with cancer and passed away. And so here were her words as she spoke about her own life-threatening disease and carrying the burden of her mother's death. She said, thank you for praying for me and for our entire family. We refuse to cave to fear, anxiety, or a decrease in faith because, well, ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) Through it all, we still believe God. We are trusting him for a favorable outcome and that I will return to full health personally and full function in ministry. Now, in the first service, Lisa was here, so I made everybody say that out loud because I wanted Lisa to say it because I believed it was for her. But I'd like all of you to say this out loud with me because I believe it's for you. See, what, what Pastor Evans is saying, what the Bible is saying is you are choosing worry because you are choosing worry. And what you need are power words that will resonate with your beliefs and then make those feelings of worry not have power over you anymore. So I like, I like using other people's words to give me words. So let's, would you read it with me where it says thank you? Thank you for praying for me and for our entire family. We refuse to cave to fear, anxiety, or a decrease in faith. Because, well, ain't nobody got time for that. Through it all, we still believe God. We are trusting him for a favorable outcome and that I will return to full health personally and full function in ministry. Do you know you got to preach to your own soul? I think there's anointing on ain't nobody got time for that. That's why we had that country music earlier, too, I guess. Oops, sorry. Let's see something. So why is this so important? Because I think we're living in the most anxious season I have ever seen. Whether people are talking about inflation, nuclear war, hurricanes, whatever it might be, just everybody you talk to is nervous, anxious, worried. There's even this, this work guru who wrote that all these people are listening to this guy and writing him on Facebook. And he said, basically says, there's nothing wrong with you if you worry. So he's kind of saying in a way, worry is not a sin. Worry is what caring people do. And he goes on to say, you worry because something you value is at risk. Now, See, in the world, you need a power source. And it doesn't matter if the power source is good or evil as long as it gets done what you want done. You see, but as believers, your power source being worry becomes a power source of fear. And truthfully, whatever you fear is what you're giving adoration and worship to. The scripture is really clear. Over 366 times in one way or another, it says, do not be 
afraid. Because here's the issue. Either the heart will have fear or it will have love, but it can't have the two. Because perfect love repels fear. But that also means if you choose fear, it repels love. And so you have to make a choice. And again, that, that fear doesn't have an intellect, but it has a root. And so what we want to see is even when the world is telling you that worry is a good thing, actually, I think what he's doing is he's saying worry will make you a better worker, which actually I believe is saying worry will make you a better slave because fear then is your master. So here's what Jesus said. And I will tell you what, Jesus' words will always be true and gurus will come and go. But his word stands forever. So Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried. Then in verse 31, he says, So don't worry. And then verse 34, he says, Therefore, don't worry. Jesus is saying that if you worry, something's wrong with you. That's what's hard for us to listen to. This is the perversity of the soul. This is where no good thing can come through fear. Now, I'm going to make a a little bit of a, a statement that some people disagree with, but I really believe there are people who suffer from chemical imbalances. Um... Physical, chemical realities can produce anxiety. That's not really what I'm talking about. There are times when your emotions sit outside of your immediate control because of physiological realities. Now, if I can tell you a personal story, when I was 15 and 16, I had two back-to-back summers of head injuries. I had a concussion and a fractured skull one summer after another, always in August. We have We have broken the curse over August in my family. Um, And so I went from not having issues of ADD and other things to having tremendous issues of ADD and all all these other things. And, And from the time I was about 16 till I was 37, I suffered with chemical imbalances. I tried different medications. They just made me feel weird. I hated them all. And so when I was about 37 years old, I just said, Lord, this is destroying me. This is really, this is, I need to be able to control my emotions. And I don't seem to be able to. I had levels of impulsivity. I did stupid things. I didn't finish things. There were so many aspects. And part of it was that I had to be in crisis to get clarity. One book that helped me was, it said, it's like you live in a fog. And I felt like I lived in a fog. And so I was, I was in the sanctuary of the church I was pastoring, and I just said, Lord, I can't keep doing this. Heal me or take me home. And uh, as I was praying the, that healing, I actually had a vision. It was an open vision. I wasn't asleep, but I had an open vision of Jesus coming to me as a bright light. And his voice spoke to me, and he said, if you will give me the pain of your memories... I will receive them. I was like, well, I've forgiven all these people and I've done all this work to get deliverance and all this kind of stuff. He said, yeah, but you're holding on to the pain as if it's a part of your personality. And he said, I've longed to take it from you, but I won't take it unless you will give it. 
And so I had this, again, it was a very spiritual moment, but I had this sense that I took the memories of 37 years, put them in a bundle, handed them out like this, and offered them to Jesus. He, his light swallowed them up. Then my head started tingling, and it felt like the clouds dissipated, and it felt like the neural transmitters in my whole neural system began to tingle. And from that moment on, I've been able to focus, concentrate, finish things, do things that I couldn't do before. So I know that what I experienced was a substantial healing of the things that had happened to me. So I'm set, I, I believe there are physiological things because I suffered through one, them for 21 years. But I also believe that Jesus is our healer. And I believe today... Because I, I, when I tell this story, I don't tell this story often. When I tell this story, it's because Jesus wants to cure and heal in this place today. So if any of my descriptions of what I suffered with, impulsivity, bad decisions, uh, all kinds of emotional instability, not being able to finish things, not being able to concentrate, all those things. If any of those things are true, Jesus is here to bring that gentle rain of healing where the cloud was. Okay? So that's not the kind of anxiety that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the emotional aspect of anxiety. So there are times when we allow life circumstances to control our emotion. It's when fear owns you. Jesus gives us the antidote to fear that owns us. His command not to worry, is he gives us a reason not to worry. And we read the reason in the verses directly above this commandment in verses 22 through 24. This is such an important teaching. And I I don't know why people don't teach this as more the psychological healing of, of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. See, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Please understand what he's saying. He's saying that if you let fear reign in your inner life, then darkness is what you're seeing through the eyes of your heart. And how deep is that darkness? Well, fear will destroy love. That's how deep it is. So instead of loving people, you're controlling people. Instead of loving people, you're using people. And so Jesus says, that darkness is very deep if it's fear-based. And how do you know it's fear-based? If you're worrying all the time. If you're anxious. If you're full of anxiety. And so what does Jesus say? No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. What, what, what you must understand is anxiety is telling you you have two masters. And the one that the things that you are the most anxious about is the master of your heart. Now, normally, see, it's hard for us to see that something good could be darkness. But the truth is, if you're anxious about your job, then your job is your master. If you're anxious about your marriage or your your family or whatever it is, 
then that means that something you care about is now ultimate to you, and you are forcing God to be your assistant for the thing that you care the most about. So in order to rid yourself of anxiety, you have to rid yourself of the extra master so that only God is your master. Of course, either that or fear will have mastery over your heart. Now, thinking about this, how does fear leave? Well, fear will not leave without adequate resources. Here's what I know. You can tell anger goodbye quickly. But fear, you have to have a resource that you believe is bigger and stronger than the thing you're afraid of. So one of the triggers that we have has to do with resources. So it works sort of like this. There's an outcome that you want, but you begin to say, I don't just want that, I need that. When an outcome becomes ultimate to you, In other words, it's connected to satisfaction, happiness, peace, stability, all that. When an outcome becomes that ultimate to you, it will always be an outcome that depends on other people. It doesn't just depend on you. So it depends on someone else. Well, that creates a demand. It creates a sense of need for control in you that now you are operating outside of your freedom. When you try to control something that you neither have the right nor the ability to control, and you still are going to control it, what happens is you have to go into manipulation, intimidation, you have to make dire consequences, you have to do all kinds of things so that you get the outcome. So what happens is, anxiety is you saying, I have a need, but I don't have resources. So I'm going to go to illegitimate resources in order to get the need met. That's the essence of sin. Sin is trying to meet even legitimate needs with illegitimate resources. And so many of us, you see, what we do is we fall into a trap and we begin to feel responsible for things that we're only responsible to. For example, let me give you, are you tracking with me a little bit? Let me give you an example of this. So a great need and desire of a family is if say your son or your daughter, I want them to become a Christian. I want them to love God. I want them to follow Christ. Those are all wonderful needs, but guess what? You have no right and you have no ability to control that. You're responsible to that child, but you're not responsible for that child. But what happens when you think, but I've got to make them a Christian? Now you start manipulating. Now you start intimidating. Now you start controlling. Now you start doing all this stuff. And you're like, God, why won't you help me? Because that's your idolatry. So, but it's a good thing. I want him to be a Christian. Yeah, but you're not even living like a Christian. You're living like a child of hell. And so what happens to many of us is we take something good and we say, well, surely God would want me to have this. And we begin to manipulate, dominate, intimidate, control, do all this stuff. And then you're like, well, why doesn't God help me? Because he's not going to resource your idolatry. And so if you're not free, then the demand or the result or the outcome is your master. And you cannot serve two masters. 
So many of us are not looking at life through the eyes of light. We're looking at life through the eyes of darkness. And so we can stop that. See, Jesus is using, he's using the topic of wealth as a, a root of our worry. He says that if you want to get over worry, you've got to get rid of one of your masters. Worry will track you down if you have more than one master. If you have God as a master on one hand, but something else ruling your life on the other hand, you will be torn in two. That's literally what worry means in the scriptures, to be torn in two, torn asunder. You will be pulled in two different directions, but the more of God you get filled with, the more that worry has to leave. That's why it says perfect love casts out fear. If love is what's controlling you, then fear will not master you. The more worry has to leave the environment of your heart. It's only when you remain divided between two masters that you choose to toggle back and forth between the antidote to worry and the worry itself. When God invades the space of your emotions, worry has to leave. To know God is to know his nature, providence, priorities, power, and love. The presence of God leaves no room for fear. Scripture tells us perfect love drives out fear. Here's how this is very personal to me. When I was told, when I was told what Lisa's chemo drug would be, I made the mistake of reading online. Because when you read online... It really scares you. And I actually, as I, I was trying to work out getting, you know, getting the grant that we needed, getting the co-payment help we needed, all that stuff, and I'm reading all this stuff, and the statistics were horrible. They were awful. Plus, the side effects were so bad. And every time I would revisit that in my mind, I would just start weeping. And I would begin to feel her either hurting or dead before she was hurting or dead. That's what fear does. It projects into the future in a way that you think is preparing you, but all it's really doing is destroying you. And so I had to stand up. I didn't use Priscilla, Priscilla Shire's words, but I, I, I did say something like, I don't have time for this. I should have said, ain't got time for this. It would have been more powerful. You understand? But... But if I'm focused on the worst case scenario, then I'm not even enjoying the fact that every day we're walking a couple of miles together, that we have meals together, that we sit and hold hands with each other, that every day is precious because I'm already thinking about the days I won't have instead of the days I do have. You see how the devil uses the darkness of the mind to take away the light of the day. Are you hearing me? This is so important that we become the people who understand that our emotions do not have intellect and that we do not have to be controlled by our emotions. Now, Jesus used it as an extreme comparison to remind us that we have no need to worry. That's one of the reasons I brought up that work guru guy is because that is what people are thinking is that it's okay to worry. It's bad to worry. It's bad for you. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. See, if God ordains the flowers and clothes the grass, he will also care for us. He will care for you. The thought that rests at the core of our worry and anxiety, the emotional and physical consequences that accompany it, 
is that we really don't know who we're dealing with. I love it what Jesus says. Have you ever seen anything clothed more beautifully than the lilies? They don't clothe themselves. Have you ever seen a sparrow that didn't get to eat? Now, it is interesting to me is sparrows don't sit on the branches quoting Bible verses. They're going after worms. You know, they're going after the food. But Jesus said, even as they are cooperating, the Lord is providing. It isn't a a call to just let go and do nothing. It is a call for you to do everything you're called to do and all the power that you have, but leave the results to the God who is providing. As a matter of fact, who can provide more than you can ask, think, or imagine. And Jesus' words cut through so powerfully when he says, are you not worth more than the lilies? Are you not worth more than a sparrow? And yet the father doesn't let one fall to the ground that he doesn't care about that sparrow. See, that's the question. When you worry, you're saying, Lord, I'm not worth a sparrow. Instead of saying, no, the Lord Jesus Christ himself died for me. Yea, he rose again from the dead and he has seated me at the right hand of the father and I will be forever with the Lord. Now, Jeremiah says it very interestingly. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Now, I know this. I share this with you. Faith is a step where you haven't been. But trust is the confidence that when you made that step, that God provides, that God heals, that God saves, that God delivers. See, trust is always performance-based. And so what what Jeremiah is saying is that God is trying to get you to a place where you not only trust in the Lord, but the Lord himself becomes your trust. And when that happens, Jeremiah says, then you'll be like a tree planted by the water. Even when there's heat, you still have a source. Even when there's a drought, you still have a source. You still yield fruit. Now, how do you do that? This last part is what I like. Anxiety is a result of a disordered heart. So what are we calling our hearts to do today? Put God first. Everything else must be second. The primacy, priority, and power, the rule of God over your thoughts, words, and actions will keep anxiety at bay. Stay present. Stay focused. Stay at peace. God never promises to give you tomorrow's strength today. He promises to give you what you need in the moment that you need it. We say this with me. Put God first. Everything else second. Stay present. Stay focused. Stay at peace. Isn't it important for us to realize he's not going to give you tomorrow's strength today? But he'll have enough strength for you tomorrow. Do you hear me today? Ashley. Will you stand with me as we close? I've been um, struck the last couple weeks, truthfully, just about how we as believers should be marked by our joy. And I feel like, at least for me, I talk to people all the time and it's like, hey, how are you? And it's like, well, I got this and this and this and this and this. And then 
I tend to fall into that the more that I talk to people and have conversations and I realize I'm not living from the joy that is mine because of the Lord's great love, we will not be consumed. His word literally says, because of the Lord's great love, we will not be consumed. And so that means we don't have to worry. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in anxiety, but we get to live from a place of joy. We get to be people who are marked by our joy. And so this morning, will you pray, pray with me? Father, would you begin even now to reveal the places in our hearts that we have protected and tried to control? The places that we maybe thought had the right motivation, but we have been trying to control the outcomes. Lord, we say this morning that you are the one who controls the outcomes. That you are the one who provides. Father, we thank you that it is because of your great love that we will not be consumed. That we will not be consumed by what surrounds us. We will not be consumed about what worries us because we get to be people who are not marked by that, but are marked by joy. And so we give you our worry and we confess that it is control. And we invite you in to renovate our hearts, to change us, to shape us, to mold us, and to make us into the people that you desire and designed for us to be. And we give you all the glory and all the honor. It's in your son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.